Hello everyone and welcome back to our regularly scheduled programming of Front Page Dub. No fancy special guests today, unlike our last episode with Wanderers Captain Amy Harrison. If you haven't listened to that, go back, listen to that episode, and then come back here and get this one started because you'll want to listen to this season in chronological order, of course. But anyway, I am your host, Cody Ojeda, as always. And as always, I am joined by Perth's finest football journalist, Matt Olson. Matt, it's been a busy couple weeks for you. You're basically here, there, and everywhere. A-League men's, A-League women's, you've got the Matildas coming up. How are you doing, man? Uh, yeah, it's it's busy. I basically am uh, FPF full-time now. <laughs> full-time while you're working a full-time job. Well, eh? While I'm working a full-time job, yeah, it's it's, it's hectic. Um, anyway, obviously, I'll be, I'll be in Matildas camp, um, I guess, as of when we're recording this uh, tomorrow, but obviously by the time it's out, I'll have already had my say with, uh, with Tony G, Mark Tocasso, and a few players from the Philippines, and... Um, even the the Iranian and, and Taipei squads I'll probably get involved with in some capacity as well, and um, there will be player interviews uh, on on Friday as well um, at the State Centre, which I'm really looking forward to obviously getting into. Don't know which Matildas I'll be speaking to yet, but as I said, Cody, um, I'm, it's basically like the equivalent, the journalist equivalent of getting your international call up for the Socceroos on the Matildas, right? Like I'm I'm FA accredited, I've I've got my international call up. <laughs> oh, I mean, these players are getting their call-up to play. You're getting your call-up to cover it. There, there's similarities there. Anyone you got in mind that you want to speak to? Like, if you had a preferred player? Honestly, like, given given the stature of where all of these girls are at, I'm not really sure you can have a preference, right? Um, they're all they're all pretty... I mean, they're all gangbusters and big superstars in their own right. A world cup will do that to you. A home world cup will do that to you, you know? So, um... Look, even if there is the opportunity to, to mix and match with a bit of the squad, which is obviously the big, the big talking points, right? I know that this is not a Matilda's podcast, but I might as well mention it while we're here. A lot of controversy around, you know, how Tony approaches these types of games. We know the shit show that happened at the Asian Cup, right? So if there are players that actually are given that opportunity, thinking of someone like an Amy Sayer, then yeah, I'd love to be talking to someone like that. But even then, if you, if I'm talking to, you know, Van Egmond, if I'm, Obviously, if I'm talking to someone of the, the stature of a, a, an Ellie or a, a Sam Kerr, then obviously, you know, I'm not going to say no to that. Um, but any, any, anyone within that squad and anyone that I have the, the pleasure of speaking to over the next week, um, yeah, I'm just embracing the challenge and really looking forward to, to covering a game at Optus, only my second ever, um, at a, what is a magnificent facility. So yeah, just a, just a huge week of women's football for me. And if I'm being really honest, Cody, um, I'm, my mind's not thinking dub right now, uh, even though we have seen some incredible football played in the last fortnight that we need to discuss. Well, hopefully you switch your mind to dub soon, because like you said, there is plenty of stuff we need to discuss. We'll head into the major headlines now, and probably the biggest one that's caught the attention over the last couple of weeks, A-League Women's crowd record has been broken, 11,000 plus people going into the Sydney Derby to watch Sydney FC win 2-0 against the Wanderers. Massive day, massive event. Hopefully they enjoyed it and hopefully they come back. I think that's probably the most important thing. And that's something we'll discuss a little bit later. But um, the first talking point that I'll probably get into in terms of the headlines, Talia Eunice, as Amy Harrison actually spoke with us uh, last week about, 14 years old, getting her A-League debut. They needed an exemption to make sure that she was able to play because technically you do need to have turned 15 before you can step foot on an A-League women's pitch. But Sam Kerr's record's now broken. Talia Eunice is coming in, burst onto the scene, made a good account of herself too, despite the result. But Matt, obviously we've had this conversation with Amy Harrison where she did go into, not detail, but did explain to us that, yeah, this is someone that's going to be really exciting. But a 14-year-old stepping foot, stepping on the pitch in a professional match, what do you just make of that stat or fact in general? Look... I, I don't actually want to really bang on about how magnificent and marvellous it is. If I'm being brutally honest, these sorts of things are a lot more common in the women's game. Um, and compared with sort of the North American scene that is the heartland for women's football, and actually even in men's football, I don't know if you know this, Cody, but a 13-year-old boy made his senior debut in the USL Championship in the American second tier. I did say that, um, actually. Yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and say, like, it's par for the course. It's normal to have 13, 14, 15-year-olds playing senior football. But especially in the women's game, and especially with the the uh, this sort of rising stature of talent and academies and, and all that that we're putting in place, someone like Talia Eunice was always going to make a name for ourselves. And 
it, in proving the fact that it was Sam Purr's record of all people that she broke playing for Glory over what, well over like what 14, 15 years ago that was. Um, Would have been a while ago, actually. Yeah, it, it goes to sort of show that this is this has been capable of happening for over a decade and a half. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, I'm not. I I'm not. <laughs> I'm not actually like that astounded by it. I think that, um, the, the fact that we do have a lot of athletes able to come through at a very young age in, uh, in the women's football program, you know, speaks a lot to, um, to, to where it, where it can grow and how it can grow and, and the unique pathways that we're setting up to keep women's football thriving in this country. I just think it's a good thing. What I will say that I'm more astounded about, and I'm sure you did read this, but Talia Eunice, was actually born the very next day after that very sort of game back in October of 2008 where a teenage Sam Kerr made it. <laughs> which That's I, which actually I was nuts. That's a like, massive coincidence. Like, yeah, it is. <laughs> less is how long it was, how, how long that record's been standing for. You're talking, that happened that day. The next day, Talia Eunice is born. However old Talia Eunice is, that's how long that record was standing for. Yeah, and another another thing that was really surprising in that as well, Cody, was the fact that um, she became the first player born after the dub was founded to play in the dub, which I remember when Dylan Perez was the first player born in the 21st century to play in the A-League, and that was a really big deal at the time, but I think he was he was 16 or 17, and it was it was over five years ago now that that happened, which in of itself is kind of mind-blowing. You know, Dylan, in his own right, has had a pretty good career, I would say, especially for playing at A-League level, right? The fact that we are already talking about this happening in the dub in 2023, Cody, the league was founded in 2007, bro. It's fucked. <laughs> it's nuts. And it says a lot about her talent, to be fair. And, you know, like I said, she didn't look out of place on that pitch. It'll be interesting to see how she grows. And you never know. This could be, you don't want to put in the same ilk this early because it's, you don't want to put that kind of pressure on her. But you look at some of the other players that made their debut quite early. Sam Kerr, of course, Van Egmond, uh, Carpenter as well. So, you know, if that's setting up a path for her and suggests where she could be in the future, that's good for her. But like I said as well, you don't want to put that pressure on just yet. You don't want to assume she's going to go to that heights because it's probably too much pressure for a 14-year-old, really. But um, look at some of the results that have come through over the last two weeks. Obviously, we are recording fortnightly. Um, Lee kicked off Mariners losing 1-0 to the Newcastle Jets. Uh, Melina Ayres probably shocked a few people. I don't know how many people were expecting that role from the Jets. We certainly weren't. Um. Both of us kind of predicting Jets to be the lower end of the table this season. Uh, like I said before, Sydney FC won the opening derby 2-0. Perth Glory getting a 2-0 win that night as well. Moving on to the 15th of October, Melbourne City beating Wellington 1-0. Adelaide and Canberra playing out a 4 all draw. That was absolutely bonkers. Brisbane beating Melbourne Victory away 2-1. And heading into round two, Mariners beating Adelaide 2-1. Melbourne City beating Canberra 2-1. Seems to be a common theme here a little bit. Um, Brisbane Raw beating Sydney FC 1-0 at home. Western United beating Melbourne Victory 2-1. Perth Glory beating Newcastle Jets 1-0. Matt, I know you would have been at that game. And Wellington Phoenix beating the Wanderers 3-0 on the Wanderers' own ground. Matt, what's standing out to you out of those results? Um, Round one was was really sort of encapsulated by... um the Jets and the Mariners in that opening game where the Jets were able to, uh, I guess, overcome a, a determined Mariners side in, in a very big occasion for them with that opening game. Melina Reyes obviously significantly scoring, scoring the goal, right? Um, and, uh, and that was the big summer from the Jets, but then Raw to sort of come in to, um, the home of the Matildas and do what they did against victory was a really big, significant, uh, result there as well, right? So yeah, round one had its fair share of surprises and I think round two delivered Ensuring that the, the dub is a pretty even competition um, across the board, right? I think for Brisbane to do what they've done, for Perth to do what they've done, it shows that the, there's a competition that's really healthy. And maybe we overstated how um, how sort of I guess <laughs> easy it was to predict a lot of this playing out. I think we were quite formulaic with our predictions, and it didn't necessarily always play out that way, did it? No, look, I'll be honest with my predictions. Anywhere between maybe eleventh and sixth to fifth was kind of up for grabs. There was. I do feel like, especially in that mid-table area, there are a lot of teams that are going to be quite on par with each other. And one result did step at, stand out to me. And I'm not just saying this because I was actually in the stands for that game. Wellington beating the Wanderers 3-0. Now, watching this game, Wanderers pretty much had the ascendancy for most of it. They are probably one of the better performances I've seen from them 
especially over the last couple of years. I thought they were actually looking like they were going to run away with it at one point. But Wellington, probably the first time I've seen them win with their backs against the wall a little bit. And one thing they've probably been missing the last couple of years is, um, you know, a couple of players that even when they are on the back foot can go and create something almost out of nothing. And you've got that between Speckmeyer, Elliott, and Fraser, who all got on the score sheet on the weekend. That's three players that can be the difference in the game. Uh, Macy Fraser, in particular, was quite impressive. A TikTok football freestyler as well, actually. Quite talented, very, very good technical player. She showed her class in that game as well. Absolutely fantastic. But um, you mentioned Perth and Brisbane when you were talking as well, and that's where our conversation is going to lead to. First deep, deep dive of the new season. We're going to look at the fast starters. Now, three teams are currently on six points at the moment, two from two. Melbourne City, I guess you could kind of expect to have been there. They are typically at the upper echelon of teams in the league. But Perth and Brisbane, two teams that we probably thought were going to be around that mid-table mark. Matt, you even said when I suggested Brisbane could push the top six that um you weren't quite sure what they had. And alas, they are proving us wrong. And Perth, maybe I, I overlooked them a little bit. I know you were definitely banging the drum about them, possibly pushing for that kind of top five spot if things start to click. Obviously, having two home games does help. But either way, to get six from six, both of those sides are doing quite well from themselves. I know you've been watching Perth closely. You've been at both of their games covering it for front page football as well. What have I missed from this Perth side when I suggested they weren't going to make finals? Well, firstly, I think with, with Brisbane, um, I just want to firstly come out and say that my, my belief in them is I've had other people confirm to me sort of across the board as, as journalists and people involved in the Australian football space that with Brisbane, like there is an air with, I guess some of the management of the club and some people involved with the club that there just wasn't much of a direction and, and a lot of excitement going on. And again, that's where that, that sort of vein stems from. From the football we've seen from them, it has been a very different dynamic. I think that's, that's fair to say, right, Cody? Um, they've, they've really yeah. turned it on. Their foreign signings have been brilliant. And that's a conversation and a narrative that's going to play out throughout the whole of the season. I'll have plenty of other times to apologize. But you're also teeing me up to talk about Perth as well, right? And and I'll just say well, that, that is yeah, where you are meant to be the expert. In to be fair, yeah. yeah look, look with with Glory, it, it is the consistency and it is the players in the squad that they've all stayed together throughout a period, mainly starting from 2021, where the core of the team was built and then stayed on throughout sort of the intervening period where the team got better and better and built themselves up with Alex as the coach as well. The consistency in the core and the leaders in that team has, has been a really big thing, right? With, with, uh, with Brisbane, I think the dynamic is different in that they're, they've sort of, they've had to rebuild, but they've recruited well. And that's the thing that I've overlooked. I think with, 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 with Perth, I think people, people really just haven't seen enough of the talent in that team excel at other levels. They've only ever seen enough of them in the dub and, and possibly if we're being honest, because of the isolation of, of, of WA, not just in a geographical sense, but in a football sense as well, with the WA MPL, where a lot of these younger players are coming from, being a, a commodity that we just don't understand. And I, I say that as a Western Australian from the perspective of someone who is not West Australian, obviously. Um, but you look at the likes of Georgia Cassidy, who's been incredibly good in these first two rounds. Uh, that back line is missing some really big names, like Liz Anton, a New Zealand international, right? And instead, we're getting we're getting players like Claudia Majic and uh, and George Cassidy to step up on a really at a really elite level. They've barely even played that much, um, you know, dub football before, right? So, so it actually really puts into perspective that the commodity there was unknown to Western Australians, let alone the rest of the country, that they would be able to step up and perform really well at that level. And Cody, you think about the fact that it was Western that they played in that first game at Macedonia Park. You're facing Hannah Keane. And co, like you, you're going up against an incredibly experienced team that proved they can be the creme de la creme of the league in many occasions last season. And what happened? The inexperienced team of Western Australians was able to completely block them off. Now, Mark DiCasso said in his press conference, you know, he was blaming it on the time and the travel and all these things you got to get acclimatized to. Um, but at the end of the day, like at the end of the day, when you, when you put two and two together, uh, you know, that forward line of Western should have actually really controlled the game, and, and they simply didn't. Uh, the game was mostly played on Corey's terms in the right areas, and they were able to establish the lead, keep it, uh, you know, play a really good flowing style with some of those younger names dictating the play. With with Brisbane, I dare say, some of those unknown commodities in the team, some of the foreign players and the influence you wouldn't expect them to have, the exact same dynamic is going on. 
And all it does to me, Cody, is it, is it actually proves that women's footballs are just in the most insane, healthy position that it could be in, given Australian football infrastructure, given the uh, you know youth pathways and everything that we have. It's still p- perhaps at a suboptimal level when compared with Europe and the US. But we're still able to churn out these players, and we're still able to get them playing at a professional standard after two, three, four games. Uh, it's a really good sign, and Perth are embodying that in a very big way, my, my personal opinion. And, and you know what? Football in Queensland and Brisbane as well, you know, it's, it's, to their, it's to their credit, because as I said, you know, there aren't as many veteran names in Brisbane. It's another reason why I've doubted them. But it's, it's not really how any of this has played out, right? So, you know, when you're, when you're a Sydney FC or a Melbourne Victory, two sides that we have safely picked as the top two, Maybe you are worried with, with not realizing some of the depth. And, and there are more teams we could say this for, uh, the New Zealand talent in the Phoenix team. You know, some of these young teenagers from New South Wales playing for a club like the Wanderers. Uh, some of the talent out of the ACT in areas like Queen Vianne and, and sort of those more rural areas of New South Wales who are getting games for Canberra United. The talent is there and it's going to keep excelling these clubs to, to overperform. <laughs> It's also, it's round two, and I've got way too, <laughs> way too amped up on all that. That count is our first Andrew for the season. We're seeing it in real time, and the only reason I've got so impassioned about this is because I've seen it in real time with those inexperienced, uh, that inexperienced Perth back one. Does that, um, does that count as our first tangent for the season? Uh, yeah, why not? <laughs> oh, I love a good Matt Olson tangent, to be fair. We start off just talking about the early starters. People that are doing well, and it's suddenly turned into a conversation about the state of youth football in Australia, which, to be fair, we do then tend to talk about a lot on this podcast, and and for good reason too. It is a good thing to talk about, and it's an important part to talk about. But um, just tracking back to where we actually started this conversation, Brisbane and Perth. I'm glad you actually mentioned Perth's back line in there because I actually feel like they have been doing quite well. You know, maybe Newcastle is not the most intimidating side to go up against, but you still got to shut down. A. Molina here, so that game against Perth when you've got Hannah Key and Carly Johnson, the likes of that coming at you. And you know, considering what we saw them do last season, we know it is a strong side to come away with that from that with a clean sheet when they were putting the pressure on you as well. He is quite impressive. Um, Jess Howard, I, th- I believe as well, the Philippine centre-back, uh, being quite impressive with her and Claudia Miocic. Um, I spent a lot of time talking with Kieran Yap about her. Uh, shout out to him. He's been banging on the drum about her for a long time now and you can see why because she is a fantastic player. I'm going to lean it over to Brisbane a little bit. Grace Kulamu, probably the stand, well, not standout, but one of the names that has caught attention so far. 16 years old, trusted with the number 10 jerseys well this season, scoring the opening goal in that game against Melbourne Victory. It, it does feel like that Brisbane as a whole, as a club, are kind of taking an approach to making sure this young Queensland talent is kind of brought through and given an opportunity to show what they can do at an A-League level. I remember speaking with Ross Aloisi before the season started, and he said they've um, him and his coaching staff were working really hard to make sure that they could identify talent they had within the club to be able to progress into the first team. Obviously, the Brisbane Royal Women's side isn't set up in the same way, but there is still that opportunity to get players out of, say, the Queensland State team and bring them up and see where that what they can do at this level. Grace Kualami looks like probably the first graduate of sorts out of that system. Well, out of this new approach to that system in a way, but um, I know you spoke with Zach Anderson earlier in the week, Casper uh, Tafter as well. They're both doing their thing at Brisbane. How much of an impact does that have on a side like this? And look, with your interaction with Zach Anderson, did you were you able to um get much out of him about the women's program and their attentions for it? Yeah, yeah, it was a, it was one of the things. So I mean, you can go obviously to uh to Front Page Football on our socials and and check out the the, the full chat with Zach because. One of the things we outlined among infrastructure and everything else was, in fact, sort of the status of the women's program and mostly really about the sort of Matilda's effect with someone like Tamika Yallop being involved, but also a point that was made not necessarily in relation to the women's program, but in relation to the running of Brisbane Rule as a club from, from Anderson was this, um, this need to understand that, um, you know, the monetary value of plays is an asset unique to football as a code. And it's something that Raw really needed to strengthen was academy ties and uh, and ties with football Queensland in order to get the talent through at younger ages and ensure that Raw could be a real beacon for talent um, throughout all of Australia and, and the whole region. Um, and that obviously does extend to the, the women's program where you're getting that Matildas and that World Cup effect, you're getting more people interested in playing the game. And, and Zach really outlined a plan there that I thought was, was quite good. Um, 
to say that obviously in the space of one off season that all of that is completely changed and is the reason we're doing good, obviously, Cody, it's, it's not, right? Um, but we do, we do have a, a situation where the sprinkle of talent that's coming through in tune with a decent chunk of senior players, in tune with decent foreign recruitment and decent recruitment domestically while, while we're at it with a club like Raw. Um, there's a good out, there's a good plan that's outlined there. And maybe it shouldn't be so much of a surprise that they're able to go to Ballymore and comfortably beat Sydney or caveats aside with who, who Sydney were missing for the day. And I, and I think that that's a really, really healthy thing. Again, just going to go on that same sort of similar line of tangent of uh, just proving that the, the dub has a lot of depth and women's football is improving and it, it has improved drastically over time. So yeah, if, uh, if Queensland can open themselves up to be a bit of a beacon, we already know that majority of the Matildas squad mostly from Queensland anyway, and especially that World Cup squad was, was very heavy um, in talent hailing from Queensland. So all things considered, to be brutally honest with you there, Cody, I think Zach's outlining one plan from a commercial perspective, but the pathway's been set there in, in Queensland in, in a healthy way regardless because it's uh, just a good territory for, for girls to grow up playing their football, I think. No, you raise, you raise actually a really good point there, the fact that the Matildas do technically have a heavy Queensland presence in their side. Um, You'll talk about the shrewd business they've done over the off-season. Mia Corbin's probably one of their visa signings that I've been most impressed with so far. Hasn't got on the score sheet yet, but um, definitely involved, probably with Brisbane's high-pressing as well a little bit. She's done some good, maybe front-line defensive work. I don't know the technical term for it. I'm not a master of tactics, unfortunately. But um, you want to look domestically as well. Chelsea Blizzard coming in, scored the winner in that game against Sydney FC. And Jenna McCormick as well scored the winner against Melbourne Victory and just generally has been great at the back. And you talk about that Sydney FC game. I don't know how comfortable it was, but um, they definitely put out a defensive performance for the ages. Silkowitz stepping up big time in that game. Some very, very crucial saves. Another brilliant piece of business trying to replace Hensley Hancock. Wouldn't have been the easiest thing for them, but to bring in a keeper like that, that can have that impact almost immediately is absolutely fantastic. The other side that's got six points, um, Melbourne City. Obviously, we kind of expect them to be there, but that opening game they had probably wouldn't have filled a lot of people with the most confidence. Uh, Wellington at t- stages looked like they were going to dominate that game and possibly even go ahead. City getting their winner, basically Riley Foster spilled a ball and Pol- Policina was able to follow up. And that's that comes after Riley Foster playing quite a brilliant game as well, especially in the first half. But um. A little bit of warning signs, I guess, there from City if they're not switched on. But then again, trying to go to Wellington isn't the easiest thing. They bounced back well against Canberra, put in a great performance, managed to shut down the likes of uh, Milivojevic, kept Heyman mostly quiet until towards the end of the game. By then, Polisina had done what Polisina does. I do apologize to Wilkinson. I believe that scored the, their goal against Wellington. Just came to my head now. But um, how much have you been able to see of Melbourne City so far? What have you made of them? Look, I think obviously... Well, they've got a bit of a target on their back for starters. I think the Wellington game was a funny one in that they were just sort of waiting for the one moment. And, um, and of course, you know, Phoenix fans would be very pissed off with the way it happens. Um, because it was quite a, a jammy and fortuitous goal, you know, deflecting off the keeper for Wilkinson basically just to walk into an empty, an empty goal for her to put that one away, right? Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's tough in that I, I just think we're too early into the season to, to make a proper verdict on the side where I can sort of go crazy about the youth development and look at all these players and look at where they're coming from, you know, with, with the mid-table side. We've had that conversation already. There's, like, the thing is, you can be really, really excited about a mid-table side that's performing well. Um, You don't want to sit there and say it's doomsday for a top team that's not where it's at after two rounds. Like, that's ridiculous. Um, I, just I mean, it's hard to say it's doomsday if they've won both their games either. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Um, but... Uh, look, I guess it just comes, it comes down to sort of the individuals needing to put together a, a better package and understand that the quality of the league has improved. So this is going to be, this is going to be a big habit for, uh, Sydney FC, especially with, um, with Nat Tobin down and, uh, and, and, you know, Victory who have started the season really poorly as well. You know, the, the likes of City who maybe haven't been at their cleanest. I guess the, the one notion that you'd really have to push is just that they're going to have to find a way to, to, uh, you know, encourage that, that real sort of champions asset that, that all these teams have and, and what we know they do well from a management perspective, you know, from the, the individuals and the leaders in the team is like go on to say time and time again, um, you know, with, with all teams across the league. I mean, I mean, even if we, we talk about someone like the Jets, for example, 
you know, you're, you're still seeing bits of inexperience throughout the team. Some players like, like, uh, Tash Pryor, for example. Uh, a lot of women named Natasha who have been big cogs in the wheel for their team. And it's really, really getting on my mind. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, Tash Pryor was someone just as an example that, you know, the press were saying at that, at that glory game that, you know, she's someone that really stepped up and it wasn't as expected. We immediately went to Gary and was like, what's, what's the story with Tash Pryor in, in the press conference? And, the, the the opposite is true, and that obviously with with City, with the the thin depth and a lot of what they know they have, they've just got to find a new gear to be able to put a lot of those uh, aspects into place to be able to perform well as a team and and adapt to the adapting environment around them. If we know what we know about Melbourne City, they'll be they'll be ready for the fight no no matter what. I I think the early sight that we've got of them. Is that they can be a little bit shaky, but they'll always come through. They'll always come through, and and um, the start of the of the season, you know, there's a there's a big story to play out here, and I, and I think it's exciting. It's the makings of a championship team, I guess. Where even when you don't play well, you are going to get those results. And maybe I'd be a bit worried about them if they didn't play well against Canberra, but they were quite solid. They dominated that game. Like I said, they managed to shut down Canberra United's biggest threats. Rojas in there as well was very very quiet in that game. So you talk when you come off a performance like that, I think that's enough to fill you with confidence. And it could be a myriad of things when it comes to that Phoenix game. Obviously, trying to get out to Wellington isn't the easiest thing. And then playing in Wellington obviously isn't the easiest thing either. Much different conditions than what you get in Melbourne, although they both can be bloody cold. But um we'll move on. And Matt, guess what is coming back this week? Trivia. Front page trivia. All right, we are doing this again. Yes. Won't be every week, but um, I feel like we can do it. He sprinkled it in every now and then. Please. Two weeks in a row, but you know what? Screw it. I don't care. We're going to get it done. We're going to dive into a little bit of history with this one, so I'm going to test your knowledge of, I don't want to say the early days of the dub, but you know, you've got to think back a few years here at yeah. least, but um, we'll get into it. Sydney FC beat the Wanderers in round one of this season. When was the last time that Wanderers were actually able to beat Sydney FC themselves in a league match? Was it A, round six in 2019-20, B, round four in our season 2020-21, or C, round 12 in 2019-20? So I actually have memories of like, no, I'm go- I think I'm actually going too far back in the past. I remember seeing the Wanderers beat Sydney FC at Club Marconi uh, during, that was like the Thursday night football era that Fox had going for a little, for a little while, um, when they like <laughs> pretended to care about dub football. No, I think that that is actually, that, that must be like 2017, 2018 territory there. I think I'm going way too far back. Ah, oh, shit. There's, they've beaten them since. I'm just, pretty sure I know what game you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... Just to confirm, sorry, two of those options were both in the nineteen twenty season, right? Yeah, round six, round twelve, and then round four of twenty 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 one. If I remember us talking about when the Wanderers were like when they hadn't won in like three hundred and sixty four days or whatever it was, would that have been close enough to the point where twenty twenty to twenty twenty one it would have been like the last one of the last sort of major victories they had before that incredibly dry spell. Does the math on that add up? I don't think it does because we were recording in 22, 23, and we would have been doing that in like December of 22. We would have had that, started having that yep. big discussion. Yeah, no, you're right there. I still think that even, even that doesn't add up. <laughs> because it's, it's, <laughs> it's into the, it's into the winter of 2021, right? So that doesn't even add up. Oh, I, I love how I've, I've really actually tried to think about this. Um, I mean, I want to hope you do. Yeah, do you know what? I feel like I feel like the twenty to twenty one season. Yeah, but the other two options are in nineteen twenty. That just that is also throwing me off. Fuck it. C C was nineteen twenty, but it was later in the season. You said like round twelve or something, right? Round 12, 2019, 20. Yeah, go on that one. It was actually round six of that season. It was a. I got a question. Do you know what the score would have been? Because um, this was this was quite a result yeah, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let me let me think. I know there was a few seasons there where the Wanderers like they would always pile on goals even when they were losing. I, I I'm going I'm going quite far back in the archives, but I can remember them remember them losing games like eight two, and they had a ten three result against 
Adelaide many, many years ago. I think that was the Wanderers at least. I know it's in their DNA to score a lot and still lose. So uh, would I be wild in saying it was like 4-3 or something? No, this game Wanderers actually won 5-0. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did not know. I did not know that one was in the dub archives off the top of my head. One, one, probably, like wa- shit. probably Wanderers' most famous result. To be fair, and you look yeah. at the talent that was on the pitch in this season as well yeah, was absolutely nuts. Now Wanderers won this game five nil. Yeah, Amy Harrison scored first. Who we spoke to just last week. Yeah, um, Kyra Cooney Cross got a double. Lynn Williams got a double as well for the Wanderers. Yep. But um, looking at the names that they had on the field, Wanderers: Alex Quinn. Uh, Courtney Nevin, Denise O'Sullivan, Ella Mastrantonio, Amy Harrison, KCC, their bench butt. Caitlin Cooper, who ended up captaining the club at one stage. Vesna Milovojevic, who is one of the best players in the dub right now. Courtney Newborn, who's doing her thing at the Mariners, but kind of floated around some other A-League clubs as well. NPL New South Wales still award, but, and Courtney Vine was on the bench for the Wanderers that day. Now you talk about Talent Sydney FC's lineup that day was stacked as well, and you've got the likes of Alana Kennedy, Ali Green, Sophia Huerta, Teresa Palaios, Chloe Legazzo, Caitlin Ford, Remy Simpson, Princess Sabini, and they still got smacked that day. Uh, Nat Tobin and Amy Sayer on the bench for them that day as well. Yeah, and th- this was the team that was just fresh off winning the eighteen nineteen championship against Glory, right? Uh, could be. My mind isn't working that far back, to be fair. I found this yes, result. It Everything is, else it is kind is of. the team that was fresh off winning the 18 <laughs> 19 championship. So, <laughs> so yeah, uh, um, that just strikes me as bizarre. Sydney have always been incredible with the women's program. That is a bit of a one off result, to be fair. Yeah, they went and got back 5 0. I mean, no, I couldn't have picked that. Uh, but I'm glad it happened four years ago. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, look, uh, 20th of December, 2019, at what was it called back then, Bankwest Stadium. Doubleheader, actually, uh, Wanderers men's had Western United visit them and drew one all. I want to talk a bit about, and this has been a bit of a central theme ever since we kind of restarted um, front page dub, but the World Cup impact. And we've seen kind of the early signs of it, and this conversation will slowly die out as the season goes on. But I thought it was a little bit interesting how... I guess it, it its immediate impact shows. Now, obviously, we're not getting 20,000 people to every game. We're not going to see the f- sold-out stadiums just yet. Record attendances, we've seen the actual figure for a league match broken. We've seen standalone round, that record broken. That was broken after, like, two games or something. We're seeing, we're now seeing a version of this impact. Would you say it's what you're expecting? Were you expecting more? Were you expecting less? This is probably just sitting at just about what I was expecting. I know some people maybe were expecting more. I think it surprised a lot of people still. What are your initial thoughts? Look, I think, uh, you know, with the rise of, of the quality of football in Europe where Australia is now able to sort of have all of our talent poached away, there was a very clear disconnect between the World Cup and the A-League. And, and what I found interesting is that the A-League actually tried really hard to make it out like, yeah, come see all these World Cup players. And they had, you know, I know that they had, uh, you know, the Philippines players come and pose for a, for a photo um, with, with the board. They had a lot of the New Zealand players do it as well. Someone like, um, like Hannah Wilkinson, who was ironically there playing against the Knicks, was posing with Longo and stuff with the, with the photos. And I just think that that immediately struck me as like, okay, it, it seems that they've sort of missed the mark in being able to extract like the full publicity of it. But I think you're also right in saying that that's exactly like that is the A League to a T with some of their branding and some of their marketing as well. They they push really hard on these things because they know that they don't have the sort of mainstream viewpoint. Um, and of course, this is sorry, like this is no sort of disrespect to anyone involved. Like it's obviously it's really cool that the place that were involved, someone like Jessica Cowett, for example, at Perth, you know, was able to sort of have her moment, and they all got a framed photo of every player from the A-League women who played in the World Cup in their sort of national team kits. I'm, I'm sure you, you understand what I'm talking about, right? You would have seen it. Yeah, yeah, across I the, saw across Courtney Vine get it. Yeah, you saw, obviously, you saw, you saw Courtney Vine get hers. Um, and that was cool, but I think it also, what it also kind of does is it is it gets a bit of a cultural cringe going where it's like, why are we sort of bragging about these players? No one knows who they are. And, and that would be the mainstream view of it almost, right? Um, so it's, it's not as though that they missed the mark, but I think it's just exactly what you'd expect because 
no one piece of sort of marketing or audience capture is going to go completely gangbusters in 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 a in an A League football sense. I mean, we we don't necessarily see really good examples of that. But as someone, Cody, that is about to cover the Matildas this week and in the process of doing so, I guess what I would be really intrigued to see is if in what is AFC and FA sanctioned events, meaning that there's no third party contractors involved putting on the event, will there actually be an opportunity for the Matildas playing their game in front of over 50,000 people in Perth to be able to say, oh, hi, by the way, we have this league here, watch it on Paramount+. Plus." go see a game, and then before you know it, those crowds are pumped up even more. I don't know. But the name recognition is also something that we have to get real with, and outside of Courtney Vine, the A-League is still actually kind of missing. I can I can tell you that with the two games that we've had, one at Maswell Park and one at HBF Park in the, in the women's comp, both games only got 1,100 and 1,400. You would look at that and go, well, that's really terrible for the crowd in WA, but realistically look at it. Who's in the team? that a casual Matildas fan would want to go see or want to go take their daughter or their son to go and see. There's, there's, there's no one in no, the No, I get, I get what you mean in that sense. And, so, you know, having conversations with people after the Sydney game, you see 11,000 people in that stadium. Every single person is there trying to get a glimpse or a signature or even just a high five from Courtney Vine. Like, you talk about, and we, uh, the market conversation is one that happens a lot in the A-League men's, but these homegrown players are what really can get people through the door. And then suddenly you have this player who's, you know, as much as Sydney FC kind of grabbed her up, she bounced around a few A-League clubs, has really made her name there, then gone on to have this really big moment on an international stage and suddenly is the talk of the town. And now you can put her in front of your fans. And, you know, you say cultural cringe that you're celebrating her. I think it's still a nice touch where, you know, well, the I'm league more, is at a I'm sta- more or less mean celebrating the Jessica Cowitz, where mainstream Australia would say, who is that? And she doesn't even represent our country. Well, the thing is, though, but, you do it for one. if you do it for one, you've got to do it for all. But no, I don't no, no, mind. No, I'm, I'm, I agree. But I'm just saying there is obviously an element of the A-League wanting to be heavily associated with the World Cup purely for marketing metrics. Yeah, no, but that's that's, that's that's a move they've got to make, and I think in terms of yeah, what's I mean, happening, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing, but I'm just saying it is something that is happening in this in this conversation, right? Yeah, no, I'm more talking about where you say it's like cringe, and I think if you did it say for the men's, that might be a little bit hey going, but the way we've marketed the women's competition, we're doing everything to try and build up on the hype of said World Cup. If this is the path that you take, and you're celebrating a Courtney Vines, which, considering what she did at the World Cup, she definitely deserves. I don't mind the fallout from that being, okay, then you've got to celebrate your Jess Cowles as well. And that's no disrespect to her because Philippines had their brilliant moment against New Zealand as well at the World Cup. They probably deserve a, hey, yep, you played at the World Cup, you did your thing, you deserve congratulations too. But obviously the attention is to do it for your Courtney Vines, your Lydia Williams and the, the Matildas of the squad and the ones that had that impact to make you yeah, yell exactly. up as well. It's nothing to take away from the Ferns players or the, or the, or the Filipinos in that, in that squad, right? And Someone like Hannah Wilkinson's probably in that bracket as well. She yeah. had that really big moment against Norway, so it, yeah. it it does tie in. Alan Stadich was at Alan Stadich was at that first game. He was talking uh, to Mark DeCasso, you know, just sort of as an aside. It obviously they weren't doing anything official, obviously with Stadich being the, the men's coach for Perth Glory, but he was just he was just talking to to DeCasso about the, the Philippine squad and, and just you know because. He's handed the reins to Tocaso. Obviously, there's a, there's a nice overlap and, and, you know, Stadra was able to catch up with some of the, the, the Philippines women there as well. Um, but again, as someone who's involved in the, in the heart of this right now and has seen both the Australia, Australia and the Philippines squads about to come here to Perth. Um, Cody, one, one thing that I just thought I'd mention as an aside as well. I could be reading far too into this, but we've already had the conversation about Emily Van Egmond's three game stint. Uh, loan stint for the Jets. Now, already on the conversation we're having, huge impact, and that's the caliber of player we're talking about going into the A-League dub. She, look, I, I don't think I'm leaking anything. I don't think I'm doing anything wrong, but I walked in to HBF Park and saw her standing with Gary with the Jets and thought, well, she's obviously just arrived into, into camp early for the Matildas. I won't read into it, but if she's there to meet the players and obviously be with her father with the team, do we do we read into that at all? I, I don't know, but I'm just saying that would obviously be the better caliber of player as opposed to celebrating, you know, the, the, Phil- the Philippines players as well. But for every player that was there, and correct me if I'm wrong, that even one of the backup Canadian keepers is uh, playing. Ah, uh, Prue. Yeah, I don't know if yeah. she got involved I think she in did. it. Oh, I think, okay. she, I think she did. 
And, uh, Look, it's, it's, it's like I said, it's a side effect. Going off in our weird tangents and things like that. And I'm sorry about it. And there's not a whole lot of structure involved, but it's it's our, our special, isn't it? It, like I said, it's a side effect from trying to celebrate your Courtney vines and stuff. So for that aspect, I can handle it. But um, I guess talking about kind of the future, and obviously, like I said, this conversation in itself is going to peter out a little bit. But there is a sense, and like you said, like if the Matildas can go out in front of fifty five thousand people and say, "Hey, we all came from the dub. Go watch the dub. It's a good league. It's a fun league." There's a reason why we talk about it every fortnight. But if there is a opportunity and you are going to see the crowd slowly increase and we had this conversation there is this debate going on as well about whether moving forward they should should they be playing in maybe the bigger stadiums even if they don't fill it out or should they be playing at local grounds where you can kind of fill the atmosphere a little bit now being at bank west of the wanderers combat stadium at the wanderers sorry i've got to remember there is a name change obviously food options are better better seating better view of the game you've got a little bit of shade you go to wanderers um training park they barely have anything in their canteen, I'll be honest. It is not good. Um, it does get hot there and you are facing the sun. It's not the best for the fan experience, but what it does do is keeps everyone together and provides this really good atmosphere, where, whereas at Combank, everyone's spread out. Now, you've had that that situation as well, where you've gone from covering a game at Macedonia Park to covering a game at HBF. How does the league look moving forward? Do we stick with... I guess in a way limiting crowd capacity, even though you're not hitting always capacity at those smaller stadiums, or do you give the girls the facilities to actually put on a proper show and play in, you know, a 20,000 seater stadium when you're getting two to 3,000 show up? So I think there's, there's two elements of this conversation. Talking to Alex after round one, and he was talking about how crazy it was that they hadn't played there in a really long time. By the time they arrived for, for round two, he was just in love with it. He's saying the surface is really good. Uh, you know, the dimensions of, of, of the pitch are, are better and there's there's a more control of the game that you can really get a feel for that you just otherwise wouldn't get. And it's an absolute luxury and we want to play more games here. Alex openly said we want to play more games here. It's not that simple and it very obviously isn't. Again, Perth have only, unfortunately, been able to get a crowd of 1,400 to HBF Park. You are not going to open HBF Park to have a crowd of 1,400 that could otherwise, realistically, yeah, everyone would be standing around and they'd be crammed and it'd be uncomfortable, but that 1,400 could, in fact, just go to Macedonian Park anyway. Much smaller venue, or Dorian Gardens. They could do it. So the reality of the situation is, when you've got a suburban ground that you're not really paying a whole lot of money for to rent, as opposed to an entire stadium, it, like financially, I don't think it's actually feasible. But it is insanely good for the players and the coaches, and they love it to bits. And, and yeah, the spectators, it's more pleasant for spectators, but I don't think it's actually realistically viable. Yeah, look, in a perfect world, the economic side of things don't exist, and no matter what crowd you get, you can easily, feasibly play games at the at stadiums and give players the most professional experience that you can. Unfortunately, well, it doesn't work like that, and it's a shame because it does, it adds to the spectacle a little bit. As much as I don't mind uh, the Wanderers training facility from a viewing perspective, you do, you are very close to the field. It is a nice view of the match. It would just be a lot better if it wasn't so bloody hot and having the sun beat down on you. And then may, maybe it's just a little bit more shade, but maybe I'm getting a bit technical there. I also do like my screen at the footy and I would like better food options at that canteen. We talk about them playing the stadiums as well and off, most more often than not, it is at double headers, and it looks like the league is kind of trying to bring that back in terms of, yeah, there's been a lot of, say, male football fans that have gone to the World Cup, and it's like, okay, we're going to slap a women's game on every now and then to say, hey, look, there's also A-League women's. When you go to watch A-League men's, you can stay around and watch this, or you can come early and watch this. Problem is, and I don't know if you feel it too, you would have been in a different experience over the weekend, you know, actually being in the press box covering the match. I was watching the game from the stands between Wanderers and Wellington, staying back for that women's one. And look, I love my football. Staying there for four hours of football was a killer. And look, it doesn't help that the first game was at three o'clock in soaring heat and I almost had a headache trying to sit in it and I was tired. But even then, like I've spoken to a lot of people that do try to do those double headers and even they say on the best of days, it is a struggle with your experience covering it as well. Trying to be in that press box for four hours, you feel the same way. What did you make of it? No, actually, the the weather, so funny story, the women's game, there was like, um, I want to say like a 15, 20 minute 
burst of basically winter weather. It, it started raining. It got extremely overcast. It rains in Perth? Yes. Actually, I just thought, <laughs> I thought it was sunny. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I, but also considering that, um, that game, the men's game basically just ended up being Sunday night. Um, you know, we didn't, we didn't wrap up with the coaches until 7.30 PM. So realistically, mate, I, I, I don't know. I think, um, what Perth were able to do with the timing of the kickoffs worked really well. But I can certainly understand also the, the caveat that the women's game kicked off first, uh, which I also think if you're going to structure these double headers, having the women after, I don't necessarily like that. I think having them on first and packing your whole day around it and having them come in first and then sort of the main event. It is a bit sad when you know there's a game coming on and you're seeing half the stadium walk out, really. Yeah, yeah. There's also, I suppose, that element of it as well. And I, I shouldn't necessarily say that the men are the main event, but I suppose the more commercially viable uh, of of the events for for you know for the reasons that that, that are probably more more than obvious, um, but again, yeah, Cody, I I I don't necessarily think that um that the double the double the double headers are more of a convenience thing for literally paying to to loan the stadium out so that you can get the women's teams to use it. And I'll be brutally honest, that that seems to me to be most of the angle that it's done from, and it's also something to do at the start of the season when the teams are fresh. And you sort of want people to sort of pack in and, and consume a lot of football all in that sort of opening period where the metrics are up for the A-Leagues as, as an entire sort of, um, incorporating, you know, competition of, and, and as a brand as a whole now that it's all under one banner, right? So yeah, I, I don't know, um, that you really need to o- overthink the impact of that. I think it is mostly you for convenience rather than anything else marketing wise. I guess the best outcome you can have of this is if you do it at the start of a season, people see the women's side and go, okay, yep, this is a good product. I want to go watch it more. And then you kind of move slowly to those standalone games. I know Wanderers do have, they've got a City Derby doubleheader actually in March next year, which will be interesting to say the least, see how that plays out when you've got two derbies back to back. The women obviously playing first and then you've got the men and obviously that the, City Derby, especially in the men's side of the game, can get quite heated. So it'll be interesting to see how that day as a whole plays out, I guess. Um, in terms of obviously we've seen, we have seen bumper crowds so far in the league and how we maintain it's going to be a really, really good question. And, you know, the, what the Matildas did, that can only take you so far. It's obviously going to get people through the gates round one, round two, maybe round three. But after that, suddenly it's up to the players that are on the pitch and. If there's two moments that I think are really stand out and what I'm going to say next is Kirsty Fenton scoring a screamer against the Wanderers in front of 11,000 people and the Brisbane Royal Garden of Ballymore against the reigning premiers and champions coming away with a gutsy 1-0 win in front of their record crowd as well. When you have special moments like that in an early phase of just starting to support a women's side, that's what reels you in, I guess. That's probably the biggest takeaway that I could have over the first couple of weeks where we are seeing moments that potentially a young fan could be watching their club and going, okay, that's just made me fall in love with this team in this club. And suddenly it's not just, oh, I'm here to watch Courtney Vine. Oh, I'm here to watch Tamiki Yallop. It's like, oh, I'm here to watch Grace Kualamu. That's massive. You're talking about a 16-year-old that can make a name for herself. You're talking a Chelsea Blizzard that's going there and making a name for herself. Kirstie Fenton. Everyone that would have walked out of that stadium would have been going, I know exactly who Kirstie Fenton is now. And they may not have gone to the game knowing that. That's That's the impact. That's capitalizing on opportunity put in front of you. And if we are going to move forward and we are going to see these crowds not just maintained but built, you need moments like that that can allow a fan to really fall in love with the club. And that's going to be the most interesting thing for moving forward. I guess you've seen it on the Perth side of things as well, that ge- that game against Western United. There would have maybe been some new fans there that would have seen that game. It's against the grand finalists as well. And possibly that's going, okay, yep, yeah, I want more of this. I want that dopamine hit that only football can provide or only sport can provide really and it's a great thing to think about when you know you talk about the women's game growing suddenly these fans are going to these games they get realizing how good it is to not just go and support your national team but to go support a club as well it's nothing to think about look it's obviously it's very healthy and you know i think of the the girls who stood up that night you know someone Someone like a, uh, a Georgia Cassidy or a uh, Morgan Aquino, who, I mean, Sally James hasn't started the game yet, right? Pretty, pretty crazy on Perth's end. Um, to have Morgan Aquino step up and she made some really, really good saves in that Western game. 
Um, but I guess the uh, the irony being that the star of the show for the night was Grace Jolly, a, a New Zealander. <laughs> so, <laughs> Another World Cup star, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, and someone else to 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 go back on the earlier conversation post with the the photos for the whole, you know, let's celebrate our World Cup heroes kind of kind of thing. But yeah, no, I don't know. Um, you know, well, obviously this conversation is is uh, is going to be one that we're going to have for as long as as time itself, right? Um, we do everything we can as the Australian football people to encourage more people to buy into what our product is. And um, I don't think that there's anything that you would consider egregious. I just think that there's a limit to this and you have to be more realistic about your expectations and what it is. Um, and and that's all that's that's all the angle that I'm necessarily coming at it from. So yeah, a lot of hopefully a lot of young young girls and, and boys for that matter were um were really taken aback by by the scenes that we had and then you know a lot of the, the great players that did step up. But at the end of the day, you know, let's let's not make it out that because Grace Jale scored a banger and Kirsty Fenton, you know, made ten thousand people go, Oh, this means that people are gonna be, you know, hardened on dub fans. Of course that's that's not what this means. Look, so- you may not do it for all eleven thousand, but you could do it for a significant portion of it. And if you're able to hit that two, three, you never know. Like it, it, there there is a potential for that impact there. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's it's good. It's good. It's what we want to see. But I, I think, you know, just um, keep a level head about this is all I would say. <laughs> I like getting excited, mate. You know yeah, me. I'm forever the optimist. Want. Look, we will move on. And looking ahead, uh, the next round of dub fixtures, there is one game missing, that is Sydney and the Mariners, because Sydney will be in Uzbekistan playing in the AFC Women's Club Championship. Uh, 6th of November, they will face Bam Khatun from Iran. On the 9th, they'll face FC Nasaf from Uzbekistan, who will be at home where they play in Tashkent. And final round, 12th of November, um, against Hyundai Steel Red Angels from South Korea, which, we, which you would imagine would be the best side out of those three that they play. Um, just quick thoughts, um, not maybe on the competition itself, but how Sydney should be faring in this. Yeah. Look, Nasaf, a big brand, a uh, big club, you know, they're doing their own in the AFC Champions League at the moment. Um, in a very tough group, uh, with, uh, one of the big Saudi clubs. I want to say it's El Nasser that's in their group. I'm sorry. I can't necessarily remember that off the top of my head. Um, but the issue here is, Cody, um, certainly at the national level and the national senior level, Central Asian countries never really been a feature in, in women's football. And when I think of, of why this tournament's being held in Uzbekistan and why you sort of have a team like NASAP so heavily involved, um, Look, I'm, I'm more or less thinking of when Jordan hosted the Women's Asian Cup in 2018. It's the AFC just trying to say, do any of you guys care about women's football? Can you play <laughs> women's football? We would like that. We would like to not be so dominated by like four countries in East Asia and technically one of them's in Oceania anyway. So that's, that's all that is. And I'm, and I'm just being nice about it. I'm just telling you the truth. Um, you know, the, the, the heavy, heavy feature of Iran, and I have to be careful again because I could be speaking to members of the Iranian FA this week as well. But, um, you know, it's very clear to me that the, the image of the Iranian women's team is, and, and certainly their domestic structure, a lot more of that is done on metrics and politics. And, you know, I just, just be honest about it because Iranian women's football is like, comfortably one of the worst programs of the countries who are even competing at a decent enough level in in the women's game in in the AFC they were comfortably the 12th ranked team out of 12 in a 12 team asian cup that was a farce that several teams left that blah 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 we we've, we've heard all this before we know the background around it okay uh, and then there's the South Korean team, um, which I believe, by the sounds of it, has some sort of link to Ulsan Hyundai, or well, they're not based in Ulsan, are they? They're just sponsored by Hyundai. Look, I'll be honest, I read the name, that's about as far as my knowledge goes about no, no, I don't. I don't actually think they're from Ulsan, I think that's actually just more of a, a, a branding and a technical thing. Um, and if we want to get into it with East Asian clubs, that goes back to the roots of it being the workers from the car factories and blah, 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 blah. So, look. We've not done our research. We don't know where the club is from, but they're obviously going to be Sydney FC's toughest challenge. Um, You'd expect, considering South Korea would be the toughest nation, that, well, the toughest country knowing, that we are facing in terms of women's football in general. The other two clubs, Cody, yes. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, yeah, look, I don't look. I generally don't know what to expect. Like you said, well, we don't know a lot about these clubs. I don't think it was necessarily a thing of not doing research, and I didn't plan to go deep into these um teams or this competition anyway. Yeah, but, I'm, I'm the, but it's cool I'm that we're, it's cool that Sydney FC is playing in it, but yeah, for sure, for sure. I think it's 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 important for the AFC. Um, you know, when you when you look at a map of particularly Europe and Asia as you know continents where the women's game is growing. There is a very unfortunate truth in that outside of where the lines are clearly drawn between West and East Asia, there are lots of women's footballers and there are not very many women's footballers. The AFC is exactly the same. Once you go anywhere west of China, women's football just is barely on the map. That's ju- It's just a fact. So to have NASAF involved, to have Iranian women be able to have a voice through football, countries like Jordan as well, very, very important. It is, but from a performance perspective, let's you know, let's not try to make it something that it isn't. Sydney FC should be comfortably dominating. very comfortably dominating these teams. Yes. Yeah. No. One hundred percent agree on that one. And ho- look, to be fair, if um, Sydney FC can go through and make themselves champions of Asia, which we don't know what's going to happen well, when well, they get to the final. Let, let's let's hold off on that because I have a sneaking suspicion, much like the futsal that I've covered in the past few weeks, much like the youth internationals that I've covered. When it comes to facing Japan, and certainly possibly even a South Korean opponent, it's a night and day difference to an Australian. <laughs> that's that's why I said if if Sydney FC can do that, happy days. But you'd yeah. expect to be in that let's showpiece. Not, let's events, not make it out like it's an AFC Cup type dynamic where we're going to walk in and really establish ourselves. It, that's not. I guess. Yeah. What's going to go on? Looking ahead, we do have some other fixtures coming up. Uh, so it will still be five games played before we do meet again. Obviously, the international break will disrupt things a little bit. But um, Phoenix play the Raw, Canberra play Perth Glory, Victory play Adelaide, West United play Melbourne City, Newcastle just play the Wanderers. And Matt, what are you looking forward to out of that? Um, look, there's going to be a lot of football played um, pre and post international break. And again, I'm still at the heart of it. I'm still doing football things. Football things are always happening. So to ask me about any specific fixtures, I'm actually going to ignore your question. And just I just said what you're looking forward to. Look, I'm, I'm, I take it, I literally take it on a week by week basis. So I cannot tell you. <laughs> you got a lot on your plate this we weekend. Can we actually, that. right now, can we make a promise? All right. We won't go into random fuck off tangents. <laughs> no matter what happens in the next three weeks. <laughs> Yeah, look, I don't know if we're going to be able to promise that. That is kind of a feature of this. I will take over then. If there's a game I'm looking forward to, it's probably Phoenix-Brisbane. Um, Brisbane off to a fast start. Phoenix at home after a massive result against Wanderers. If Phoenix can get three points out of that game, then we've got to maybe have the co- the conversation. Actually, no, probably a bit early to have the conversation about teams making finals. But I think we got to- we would need to discuss Wellington-Phoenix and the absolute turnaround that this club also, has had. Also and because we've misjudged them a lot. 12th, yes. 12th and 11th, respectively. <laughs> That's crisis pod, but the crisis is actually us territory right there. So, yeah, for sure. Um, you'd be very keen to see how two sides that are overperforming, if we can even say they're overperforming, um, go up against each other. So Wellington Brisbane's a, a terrific tip. Um, but, again, I I see the schedule on, like, the Thursday before a weekend, <laughs> so I'm not going to sit here and give you a big forecast. This is not how, not how this works. No, no, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. And we will end it there. And Matt, you do have a fair bit to get back to. Obviously, a lot of content coming just through you for Front Page Football. So be sure to check that out at frontpagefootball.net. Be sure to check out the socials as well. Front Page Football on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Threads, Facebook, wherever you get your socials content. My name is Cody Ajita. I've been your host. I've been joined by Matt Olson, who went on about two or three tangents today and you know, obviously we do love it. Matt, do you have any final words and do you have it in under 30 seconds? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, oh, my God, oh, my God. All right, that has been another episode of Front Page Dub, our first for the actual main season, not a preseason one as well. We are back in the thick of things. The greatest league in the world is back. We are all happy. It does take a break, but there is one more round before we are back with you in a fortnight and we will see you then. 